to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with technology leaders and some of the most innovative minds in the industry to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they foresee for the future. No topic is off limits, so sit back, relax, and maybe take notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. Tom Bradadich is a Vice President and Hewlett-Packard Fellow and Head of the Global Edge and IoT Labs at Hewlett-Packard Enterprises. In his career, he has been a first mover in the world of laptops, notebooks, mobile phones, servers and other areas. Today, Tom is focused on positioning HPE as a first mover in the world of edge computing, including introducing an edge-as-a-service platform. On this episode of Future of Tech, Tom explains what is coming in the future of IoT and why there needs to be a greater focus on moving to the edge, where there can be a convergence of all the things in the IoT. Because as Tom says, when you combine those things into one place and understand the data pent up inside of them, not only can you be more efficient in your business, but you might actually be able to better predict the future. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs's R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So let me officially welcome you, Tom, to a new episode in which I'm uh, very happy to uh to have you, Tom Bradicic. Uh, Tom heads the HP Edge and IoT Center of Excellence, is leading the company strategies around the Ozera Ventures MA. Uh, so maybe uh, we'll, we'll briefly touch uh, some history and background uh, later on about uh, working in uh, other places in your career. But uh, maybe take us through uh, the journey how you first were introduced to uh, technology? What were your first steps into, the, into our domain? I think first introduction and uh, being intrigued with technology came as a child through conversations with my father who would come home from work and tell us uh, what the future would hold. For example, uh, this was you know, many decades ago, and he would say, someday everyone will have their own phone and their own phone number. And this was rather amazing back then because uh, many of the homes in the neighborhoods I grew up with had one phone on the kitchen wall for the family. Or he would say, someday you'll be able to hang a television on the wall like a picture. It would be that light. And that kind of intrigued me. And this was all more verbal, you know, and more imaginative, um, more focused on the imagination. And then as I got into music uh, and played in bands and musical instruments, I was intrigued by the electronics of musical instruments, electric guitars, electric pianos, amplifiers and synthesizers for different uh, sounds as well. And I was uh, very intrigued with, uh, as I got into uh, late high school and college physics, and Richard Feynman and um, Robert Oppenheimer, World War II, uh, nuclear physics, and then moved into physics and then electrical engineering was my majors in college and found uh, it to be a, a very rewarding and, and very broad opportunity as a career. So I kept pursuing it in that sense as well. Interesting. And I've also seen that you are, uh, you like also to mentor and to, uh, to assist in those areas. So uh, what exactly do you like in, uh, in mentoring or where, where is the uh, drive coming from? Well, I do have a passion to help people, especially those who um, have a need. 
And so that's translated in uh, two charities that I founded, as well as mentoring. And I believe that mentoring is also uh, not an uh, not a um, optional, but an obligation for executives to promote the uh, benefit of the future of the company. But uh, I can't mentor everyone, obviously, and all those who could use mentoring. So I've de- decided to narrow down on um, women in technology. So I do uh, mentoring and initiatives along hiring and mentoring women. My greatest contribution to women in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, is my own daughter, Michelle. And she is a uh, a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and is employed now uh, as an engineer. And so focusing on both uh, females in technology and then focusing on uh, early tenure, new employees or young employees in the business, uh, keeps me uh, quite busy. And uh, in fact, we have something. I started uh, a meme page, M-E-M-E, meme page for our company, Hewlett Packard Enterprises' first meme page. And when you post the meme of the week, the prize is to get a mentoring session with me. And that has been very popular, well, uh, growing that um, social media dynamic, especially in this time of seclusion, you know, as well. Yeah, this is very nice and uh, admirable. And, and we will share more about it. Take me a bit into, uh, let's go, you know, a bit into the things that you are doing today. So in uh, broad words, how would you define your current role? Well, the current role is a culmination of a lot of opportunity and experience I had in, in information technology and building data centers and personal computers. Uh, that IT dimension, I would call it. I was fortunate enough to work on the first laptop, first notebook computer. I worked on the first smartphone and worked on the first uh, converged blade servers in the marketplace. So I had a lot of firsts in uh, information uh, you know, technology. And then I spent some time at National Instruments, uh, where I was a um, NI fellow, and we did work on OT, operational technologies, which is more at the edge and the IoT, things like control systems and data acquisition systems, industrial networks. And therefore, the fusion of both or the combination of both was intriguing to me, combining IT and OT together. And having those two experiences, when I came to uh, Hewlett-Packard roughly six years ago, I uh, put together um, HP's first corporate IoT strategy, and we presented that to the senior technical staff and our CEO at the time. And from that, we launched a focus on uh, IoT, and we launched a focus on what we call the intelligent edge. And the definition of the edge is it's not the data center. It's just everywhere else outside of data centers. And then we sought to move information technology out to the edge, uh, significant enterprise class technology out to the edge, meaning that what you'd find in data centers and high-performance computing and clouds, we're able to move out to manufacturing floors. And then, uh, for example, and also, for example, uh, military battlefields, oil rigs, uh, power plants. And we move this technology out there and we need operational technology like control systems. And so the labs that I run uh, with my teams are focused on building uh, the combination of operational technology and information technology, uh, predominantly for uh, edge deployments. Deployments, uh, like I said, out in a manufacturing floor or out in a retail store, you know, for example. And then there's cloud connectivity as well, but there's a great fusion going on in our um, industry. Uh, And I I like to liken it to the smartphone where there was a fusion of the phone, of course, the cell phone, but also there was a fusion of other consumer devices like a camera, like a GPS system, like a music player, uh, like your wallet, like your keys, like a flashlight. So this idea of a fusion of things in a single uh, device, if you will, 
we are doing that and pioneering that out at the edge. We're fusing storage and compute with uh, security manageability, and then also uh, never done before, we're fusing into that or converging into that control systems and industrial networks and data acquisition technologies that have never been before been combined as efficiently and powerfully. So I like that metaphor of the smartphone. We do for the edge what the smartphone did for the, uh, you know, for the consumer. And that is the, uh, the role I have in, in uh, the edge and the IoT mission that my team and I enjoy at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Well, uh, it appears, you know, quite, quite a lot of things, and I would like to, to touch uh, some of them in greater detail. So maybe we'll start from, uh, from the different pieces, and then we'll, we'll gather them uh, all together. So you mentioned Edge, you mentioned IoT. There is a lot of innovation over there. Um, in terms of innovation, I think that this is uh, kind of uh, intertwined in, into your career. Um, during the years, would it be accurate to say that you are um, an entrepreneur in heart and spirit? You know, I would think so, but I have not had, except a very small experience, you know, with startups, which are usually associated with entrepreneurs. Uh, My entrepreneur or even intrapreneur experiences have been in corporations, you know, large corporations and, uh, and helping to establish and find first of a kind, and also new product categories, not just new products, but new entire categories of product. For example, there was a day there was no a notebook computer, right? And then the first notebook computer created a category called notebook computers. And every new computer after that would be a new product, but not a new product category. The converged blade server, and then more recently, the converged edge systems are a new product category that my team and I pioneered. And let me tell you, it, has, uh, it is riddled with and replete with challenges to, in a big company, come up with a new product category. Again, not just a new product in an existing category, like a new server you know, or a new uh, uh, wireless networking router, perhaps. But to come up with a new product category is very much an entrepreneurial uh, challenge. And uh, as I thought about that throughout my career, what are the formula or the formulae to uh, be able to pull together uh, investment in something from a big company that has other challenges, such as protecting cash flow, protecting the brand, you know, a very large customer base where startups don't have that. Right? They don't, startups don't really have a brand to protect or a, a customer base to protect. So there's a lot more risk to be taken there. In a large corporation, how is it to uh, convince the company to invest is a, uh, a very exciting and challenging time uh, you know, for, for me in my career to be able to do that. And I've got a few uh, formulas I'm actually putting together in a book I'm writing called The First Mover. And it's how to do new product categories and first of a kind uh, of products. Um, real quick example on the challenge. I had a, uh, a boss once, a leader once who told me, stop working on this um, new product category called uh, you know, converged uh, systems, converged enterprise blade system, because it would not sell. Today, it's about a $13 billion business, right? And that just shows you that. And I don't say that critically to my colleagues. I just say it's really hard to find people who know what is the next new thing that doesn't exist before. It's much easier to say, I'll create a new automobile, right? That Because we know about the automobile market, I'll create a new server because we know about the server market. I'll create a new uh, cell phone because we know the cell phone market. But when you create the whole new market, there's no history. There's no data. There's no analyst who has a understanding of it because it didn't exist, right? 
So you have to run, you can't run it on data. You have to run your new product categories on vision simply because the data doesn't exist, right? And, and you need to be obviously stubborn uh, and, and uh, break some walls on, on, the, on your way. What is the uh, part in IoT that makes it so um, unique in the sense that you, you believe that this is going to be yet another uh, thing that is new and not a repetitive uh, invention? Well, great. Let me, let me comment on, on your, your stubborn or at least you know, conviction point real quickly. Uh, what I tell when I mentor people is if you have a new idea and people don't understand it and they don't get it, that's a good sign. Don't be discouraged. And the reason you would not be discouraged is because if everybody gets it right away and understands it, it's likely not that novel and not that revolutionary. And that type of conviction, and we could call it in a way stubbornness, that you know it will sell. You, you, and, and, and I go through all the risks, right? You have sales risk, you have manufacturing risk, you have company risk. Uh, you know it will. It is good. And you must stick with it because everyone has an opinion you know, about the future. A lot of people will uh, be uh, countering your opinion, and you must have deep convictions or you'll be swayed by everybody's opinion you know, that you present to. Uh, to answer your question, what do I like about the IoT and what intrigues it? The uh, IoT is uh, a subset of edge, right? In- intelligent edge or edge opportunities, meaning the remote places. They're not the data center. Your home is an edge and where IoT uh, solutions can exist. I mentioned several times the manufacturing floor is very popular as well as um, electrical power plants, power generating plants, battlefields, oil rigs. These are all edges. And out at these edges, the data sources at the edge are bigger, older, and faster than all other data combined, all other big data combined. So that's a very profound uh, statement, but there's more data out there. And because there's more data out there from everything about your body is a thing, right? And there's tremendous amounts of, let me say, physiological medical data. A turbine burning fossil fuel is a thing, and it has tremendous amounts of data from vibration to temperature to acceleration to moisture. So all this data, if it is collected from T and IoT, the things, here's the intriguing part. One can make predictions. Now think about that. Who does not want to predict the future? Right? Might not. Will I be healthy? Who will I marry? What is my next job? You know, where, where will I uh, go on vacation? Is this safe for my children? Who does not want to predict the future? It has enamored mankind for centuries, all the way from all the um, mysticism associated with uh, mythology around astrology, palm reading, crystal balls, uh, all the way up to scientific approaches to predicting the future, such as prognostics right, and predictive analytics. And predictive analytics and prognostics about businesses, about things, can only be accurate, uh, or let me say can increase its accuracy with a lot of data. So the amount of data that when we can collect on your air conditioning system or your automobile, right, or a robotic arm, the more we can predict its future, whether it needs maintenance or not, or whether it will break down, or whether it's being effective, you know, running efficiently from a, from a power and a productivity point of view. And that is a very enamoring, as you had asked, you know, and very interesting to me is how can I collect so much out there? And in fact, data scientists today will tell you that if they monitor all of your comments, all of your posts, all of your email and all of your tweets, they can predict what you're going to do next. I find that rather interesting. By the way, it's really easy if you tweet what you're going to do next, but uh, My point is that would be direct data, but inferential data, 
when you're searching for vacations, right, and tickets, uh, perhaps to a particular destination, there's a high probability you will go there, right? And on and on and on. So this is a this is the answer that I I find. How can we uh, help companies to be able to predict production, predict their uh, businesses, help predict the weather, right? Because that has a big effect on farming, has a big effect under your own personal life, whether you'll take an umbrella or not out versus have an outdoor wedding or go to a particular vacation spot. So this is indeed intriguing. And I, and I would like a follow-up question. You know, IoT is there for a long time, or at least for, the, for, for several years. What were the blockers or why didn't you think it is uh, getting the, the same attention as it is getting uh, today? So was there things that we needed to uh, mature? Were there uh, technological barriers or was it just a matter of maturity of, uh, of the field itself? A good, good question. And uh, I think you, you would agree that the IoT has achieved celebrity status today, right? And uh, who doesn't have an IoT strategy? And I remember the days when uh, nobody did. In fact, I remember the days when senior, my senior executive colleagues would dissuade me. There's really no future in this, quote, IoT thing, you know, on and on. But let me tell you uh, a direct answer, please, to your, to your question. That is, there's always been data pent up in things, right? Let me, let me pick uh, a very uh, large power company in the United States, the second largest uh, electric power company. They've always had things on their uh, 87 power plants that are dispersed across the USA, for example, right? Let me pick a, a large engine manufacturer in the UK. They've always had things, right? Uh, the blades on their jet engines, they've always had the, um, the, the wiring and the actuation. There's, always, there's data pent up in it, right? There's data about its acceleration, its velocity, its temperature, its voltage, its current. But what's different today? It's tapping into it is different today. We're able to now affordably connect to networks, whether they be wired or wireless, whether they be direct sampling of data on a smart electric grid across a geography, or whether it simply be a dog food bowl that can tweet or send you an email when it's empty. It's very affordable to buy a dog food bowl to do that. Now, we can argue the business benefit of that, of course, but I say that as an example, I guess that's good for the dog, right? That benefits the dog. But at the end of the day, to benefit businesses, for example, to determine whether or not a packaged food has been correctly sealed, whether or not to determine whether there's a short circuit on a computer board. These are real applications that I'm involved in. Using, for example, a video sensor uh, is quite affordable now. And the compute power to handle video sound and to handle these, what I call analog data sources, right? They're not digital. They have to be digitized, right? They're the real world. You know, temperature has to be digitized. A picture has to be digitized. Acceleration, velocity, and time and location are all phenomena that are analog. They have to be digitized so we can process them, send them over networks. Quite affordable to do that. And now the challenge isn't whether we can put in an infrastructure to connect to the things, the T in the IoT. The uh, challenge is can we use all that data effectively because it is voluminous? The amount of data that we can capture uh, affordably is exceeding the amount of affordability associated with processing and storing it in many ways. So that's what has to catch up now. That's why you see a lot of information uh, technology efforts in AI and machine learning. Is how do we uh, decimate, as we say, the data and how do we sort out and find the insights from the data because there's so much of it. But again, it's good. It's a lot. Remember my earlier point, the more data right, that you have, the higher probability your predictions will be. The more you can understand about 
the thing and the business associated with the thing in the IoT. So at its current stage, where, where as I'll, I'll quote you, saying, saying that uh, IoT is now a celebrity, is there still thing that you believe um, the audience doesn't get or the, the people out there are still missing in terms of the impact of this as a phenomenon? Well, it's so hard to generalize because there's a set of people who are enjoying its benefits right now. As you know, every car is a thing. Now, every modern, modern automobile is a thing connected to a network, right? So it's an IoT um, solution. And we can you know, download to update the firmware in cars. We can send repair and health uh, information as well. So uh, people who are enjoying it don't have to make a decision in many ways. Like, do I want to employ an IoT in my life? Well, You know, it's happening right now with smart meters that have your electric current and your uh, electricity usage, right? You know, as well, all the way to uh, the future devices like your refrigerator being connected to your Wi-Fi. That's an Internet of Things, you know, application. And when you're out of milk, it can order it automatically. Uh, you talking to um, the retail stores, the cloud retail stores like, um, you know, Amazon. Uh, or Google and ask for things to be ordered, etc. That's all happening. So there's a, there's a domain. There's no one answer to your question. There's a domain of people that can't get enough of it. This is great. That's a little bit in the consumer side. And I like to, uh, you know, bifurcate grossly. There's the consumer and then the commercial. And then the commercial can be trifurcated in, in many ways, you know, with industrial, you know, retail, uh, other things like that. But Uh, in the consumer side, it's about affordability. Almost everything is about affordability with respect to the convenience. Right? Now, on the uh, commercial side, it's also about affordability, but it's about return on investment that makes it affordable. Right? It's not about whether um, it's uh, priced right as much as is it priced right to the return on investment. So um, I, I give examples of um, if we can do an IoT solution on a drill rig for oil, petroleum right in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico for example in the United States or somewhere else in the world where it's remote and we can connect the thing called the drill to an analytics um, application and infrastructure which can determine its location its depth its uh, health status uh, that can result in taking less time to get the oil right that's the the idea is let's not be drilling in places where there's no oil And when we do drill, let's drill optimally, right? So we get the most oil um, out of the, uh, you know, the raw materials out of the earth you know, as well. So getting an ROI on that is fairly airtight. Here's another story. I went into a large auto manufacturing plant and I uh, met with uh, one of the heads of manufacturing. I did not meet with the IT people, right? The uh, data center people. So I went and I met with the OT, the operational technology people. And I mentioned that earlier. And I said to him, um, what is your number one business need? And he said, can you help me put out one more car a day? Just one more car a day. I have a, you know, orders backed up and I, I uh, can't you know, enjoy uh, the CFO of the company, couldn't enjoy the revenue attribution unless he delivers a car. So it doesn't matter even if there's down payments on cars or whatever. You can't, if you don't get it out, you can't recognize the revenue. So One a day. So I asked him, how many days a week in hours do you run the plant? And he said 24-7, right? Runs all day, 365 days a year. So uh, I did the math uh, very simply because I majored in math in college and I multiplied one times 365. 
and I didn't even need a calculator, and I got 365 more cars a year. Then I multiplied the 300. Oh, I got the same. Yeah, you get the same. And your head. I noticed you didn't use a calculator. That's amazing. <laughs> but uh, then I had to use a calculator to multiply the uh, selling price by 365, by the way. And it got into the several millions of dollars of revenue, right, to the top line. And then, of course, they would do that. Now, just by implementing an IoT solution and getting one car more a day, uh, many millions of dollars of revenue come in. We didn't stop there, though. We'll get two, right? We'll get two cars a day. Then we'll get better and get five. But just to start with one is rather amazing. The business case is airtight. So when I deal with a customer like that, it is, it's amazing, um, absolutely amazing, that end users are telling me why they need it, right? Usually in the world uh, that, I have, uh, that I've grown up in, in the world of information technology, uh, you're constantly selling why your product is better, right? Well, if you buy mine, it's better than the competition because we can do A, B, and C, or we have better you know, service, global reach, better price, whatever the deal is. But in many of these uh, industrial applications, they're coming saying, if you do this, this is my return on investment. And it's an amazing flip of the sale and value proposition discussion, right? And so I've given you the positive side and why it's um, taking off today. One of the inhibitors, uh, though, and I, and I say this at the highest philosophical level, the greatest inhibitor... And the greatest risk to IoT is not implementing IoT. That's the greatest risk. And when you don't implement it, you don't enjoy the aforementioned benefits. Look what I just described in a couple of cases here, right, as well. So we have to get over those risks because there are going to be risks, you know, as well. And one of the risks is security because the more access points you have to your network through things, the T, in the IoT, right? It used to be just people on terminals, and it was people with smartphones, and it was people with tablets, and now it's refrigerators, and now it is a robotic arm, and now it is a, um, a particular um, you know, motor in a windmill and a wind farm. All these things now are attached to the network, and they rightly so present a vulnerability, and uh, we have to handle that, and we're doing it in a couple of ways, you know, a couple of major ways. One, one is with the, uh, the innovation we have with uh, network security in general. And we do that through uh, organic as well as acquisition. But another way is what I call um, security inheritance. And these um, control systems uh, that are connected now to the internet, or really, not really the internet per se, but are connected to a network, right? A network in a corporation. Uh, we're imputing proven enterprise IT security onto them. I mean, we're not inventing new security. So now we have customers with control systems and data capture systems that have never had security are enjoying the same security that has been battle-hardened and proven in our compute servers and also our storage. And the way we did that is simply the way your smartphone is secure. And when the GPS came into the smartphone, it enjoyed that same manageability and security. Now, I'm not claiming it's good or bad. I'm just saying you see the idea of inheritance. So when the smartphone industry put more and more things inside the smartphone, like your wallet eventually, right? That wasn't there at the beginning. Neither was GPS. Um, the more it goes in, the more it enjoys the manageability and the security of the entity that it is incorporated. So we have security and manageability in our servers and storage. When we integrate a control system or we integrate a data acquisition system, it enjoys that security. And I call that security and manageability inheritance. Right? It just inherits it. And that's, that's a thing we're leading with. And I believe uh, 
my colleagues in my competition will follow. The industry will follow that. And we won't have to wait as long for uh, what some believe, and I don't agree with them completely, is, oh, we have to wait until there's new security. We have to invent it. Uh, and I would say, well, if you already have it, why don't you repurpose it and get a re-return on that investment as a vendor and then have your customer be able to lower uh, the end user and customer, lower the risk of deploying an IoT deployment. Interesting. So, so far we discussed um, some IoT angles. How do you tie in the edge into it? Okay, the edge is a place. Let me define it. The edge is a place. The edge is a place that's not the data center. So a data center is a, is a big building with compute storage, right, as well. Uh, now, there's a little bit of morphing going on in that particular definition, but for, you know, just for clarity and to expedite the conversation, you walk out of a data center, you're at the edge. You're in, you're in a town or a street. That's an edge. Your home is a place. It's an edge. A battlefield is an edge. It's a place. Every place is an edge, right? And therefore, in that place, you can have things. So if I'm on a manufacturing floor, I'll have conveyor belts, robotic arms. I'll even have the product is a thing. I'll have people there, workers, there are things. So at the place called the edge, there are things. And those things uh, can be connected to a network, and hence the IoT. So to answer your question more directly, there are edges that are not IoT. And uh, some of this has, you know, um, isn't quite as crisp in its definition. But in general, I would say the communications edge and the content delivery edge is really not IoT in the sense that there's really not a lot of things there, right? T, there's not a lot of things there. Contrary-wise, uh, when uh, you are connected uh, with your smartphones and your uh, lights and your air conditioning system are all connected, that edge in a building, a campus, or your home is indeed an IoT edge. So there are a couple of types of edges, right? There are in, you know, enterprise edges uh, for communications, sending um, ISP and, and internet information, movies, right? Uh, communication channels, et cetera. There are IoT edges, and the T are things that can be your home or on a campus or in a building or on a manufacturing floor, a battlefield, an oil rig as well. And then there are some OT, I call edges, that have uh, uh, operational technologies um, that are now connected to uh, some of the private, more private networks inside of a, of a legacy manufacturing site. I think of SCADA systems. Profi bus, CAN bus, things like that, that can further be connected to uh, the, uh, the cloud and the corporate's data center through perhaps conventional Ethernet technology and also through uh, a traditional and uh, modern Wi-Fi technology, IPv6 type technology. So let's speak about uh, earlier you used the, uh, the phrase converged edge and you also mentioned the converged OT with IT. So let's, let's speak about those for a second. Yeah, great. I think the, um, the smartphone, almost everyone listening to this, I think would have a smartphone or maybe two. I think the smartphone uh, metaphor works to explain what, what you just asked here. And let me say that there was a day where I'm going to uh, talk about Steve Jobs, uh, God rest his soul, but Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple and a pioneer in smartphones, right? The iPhone. He went out and he looked at the consumer, meaning you and me and himself. And he said, wow, I see that these consumers, these people are walking around with a couple of devices. They might have, you know, back in the day, a text, a little text device. They might have, of course, a cell phone. They have a music player. It might have been a CD, you know, music player back then or even advancing to a digital. Uh, maybe they had a portable GPS. Maybe they had, of course, they carry around a wallet. 
usually made of leather or plastic. Um, if they had a lot of keys, they'd have a keychain, and um, they could carry around a camera. Because you know, um, most people were um, not necessarily carrying cameras all the time unless they were interested in photography. But he looked at all these devices, and he said, um, hypothetically, I've never met him, but I'm sure he said, "What if I put them all in one device?" And there are seven benefits to putting everything in one device. And we may not have time here on the podcast to go through them. But there are seven reasons why you and me and everyone listening to this owns a smartphone and doesn't own seven or eight different devices that they carry on their body, which they could. That's what's amazing about it. They could. Maybe mention, maybe mention one or two so we will get the, uh, the notion. Okay. One thing to buy. Ten years ago, if you wanted all those features, some of them wouldn't exist, but you'd have to go to one store, get the phone, another store, get the music player, another store, get a camera. Another, I mean, there's, we had the concept of supermarkets, but the, one, one to buy. And that's really important as I use this metaphor, and I'm going to impute it on the IoT and convergence of OT and IT, right? But in just a moment, just follow that metaphor. Why you like that? Let me give you a second one. Less energy. Right? So there's two. Let me give you a third one. All right, then we'll stop. We'll go through all seven. The third one is easier to carry, right? <laughs> it's convenient, right? But those are three. They're separate, right? They can be related in a way, but, but there's seven of those, you know, those benefits. Okay, now let's think about that. Wow, the convergence of consumer devices um, led by uh, you know, the Apple team and the Android industry, et cetera, uh, ha- has done amazing, amazing things, right? Now let's do this. I personally walk out onto a manufacturing floor and I see many things, just like perhaps uh, the late Steve Jobs saw many things hanging on a consumer's body, right? All these devices. And I see control systems and I see um, industrial networks, data acquisition systems. I also see some compute and some storage. They're all separate, separate boxes. They're separate systems. And therefore, that was the idea. Let's put them all and converge them. That's just another word, a synonym for integrate. Let's put them all in the same box. And if I put them all in the same box, how many benefits will that afford the customer? Seven, remember, <laughs> of which we went over three, right? So now I've taken the seven benefits of why you have a single device, smartphone, and you don't carry around a separate camera. You know, If you're over 40, you still carry around a separate wallet. But if you're under 40, you might not even have a wallet, right? So of these seven, these seven benefits are imputed in the converged OTIT space. And it's very simple and it isn't really original. It's just somebody had to be a first mover and it was us. It was my team. We were the first mover. We looked at it and said, let's put them all in the same box and physically converge and integrate uh, six or seven types of uh, devices. And when you do that, you get the seven benefits of convergence, the same type of seminar. One thing to buy. That's really big in the commercial um, marketplaces, right? My customers like to buy a single thing from one shop. One thing to install and deploy and maintain, um, right? Lower energy, because there's not a lot of energy at the edge in IoT solutions. Lower space requirements, right? Because there's not a lot of space sometimes under conveyor belts, inside military vehicles, in um, windmills and wind farms, on tractors in the crop field. There's not a lot of space and power. You know, and energy. So these um, seven benefits of convergence, uh, I derived and I observed from the smartphone market, and we simply lifted them, imputed them, and employed them in the convergence of OT and IT. Interesting. And uh, let me try and see if the eighth is, uh, we didn't cover all seven. So I, w- I will try to see if the, the, the one that I'm suggesting now is number eight, or is it one of the seven? 
Do you believe that uh, selling this solution as quote-unquote as a service is also a phenomenon that is part or bundled into, uh, into this ecosystem or is it a separate uh, discussion? Okay, uh, I, I really want to answer that because I'm actually working on edge as a service right now. So let me, um, let me answer that. But uh, is it an eighth benefit? It'd be okay if it was, by the way, because I'm looking for an eighth one. And anytime somebody comes up with one, I just change my blogs and my keynotes and my podcasts, right, too. Uh, so I'm, I'm clearly open to that. Um, but I, I would say I don't think it's, it's a separate eighth benefit. It's just a, a way of enjoying the seven benefits, right? And because the as-a-service model is very much financial, and it's also a convenience, but I can impute the as-a-service model on things that are not converged, right? Things that are not integrated, right? In fact, right, you had a separate cell phone perhaps years ago, and that was, um, you know, you paid for that separately. Uh, now that uh, you have convergence, you still have an as-a-service, right? Because you're paying uh, for, your, uh, for your, you know, your, your pictures on your camera, As a service, so that's quick, quick. Uh, but if you really feel it's an eighth one, we can pick that up and debate it. All right, now, what about as a service? Okay, uh, well, we are on our third first mover innovation and differentiation. And when I'm finished with this, please ask me the difference between innovation and differentiation. That's an extremely important point. I think your, your, um, your uh, listeners and viewers would love to hear. All right, we're on our third innovation slash differentiation. The first one was, we said we could run enterprise class apps at the edge. Anything you run in your data center, you can run at the edge. And this was during a time uh, six years ago where people said, oh, no, no, it's all about sensor to cloud. So, you know, send all the data to the cloud and the cloud will take care of it. Well, there are many reasons why you should not send the data to the cloud. You should process it at the edge. Full databases, full virtualization, full AI, full machine learning algorithms, full machine learning learning, full machine learning model building, which is all compute intensive. And before we pioneered this idea end product, one had to send all the data to the cloud. And there's a lot of reasons not to send the data to the cloud. So that was the first invention and the first uh, concept. Now, before I go on, you can um, You and your listeners can uh, use your judgment to say whether it's a good invention or whether it's a profound invention. That's not the issue. It is just the first time that one can do it in a rugged way, right, at the edge. On, and let me qualify it. On expressly designed edge systems, anybody could put a supercomputer at the edge, right? Anybody could put high-performance computing at the edge. But the point is, it isn't shock, vibration, and temperature hardened, you know, for the edge. All right, that's one of three. The second one of three is the convergence of OT and IT, where we pioneered physically putting high-performance OT and IT together in one box. I already explained there's seven benefits to that, right? We talked about that. Now we're on the third pioneering uh, opportunity for us to be a first mover, and that is offering the edge as a service, both OT and IT edge as a service. Okay. Now, what do we mean by edge as a service? Let me hold the financial model, right? Whether you pay, um, you know, monthly or usage or, you know, consumption-based, et cetera. But let me talk about the idea that when you do a service, you need somebody to operate the service. And this is very popular in the data center because the clouds today are as a service, right? You're paying uh, some sort of a fee, whether it be by the you know, consumption, the VM, or by the month, by the storage, right? Capability. So that's already as a service. We got a lot of history and a lot of refinement in data centers as a service. We don't have that in the edge. 
Therefore, it doesn't exist in, uh, in mass, let me say, or in, um, in what is interesting to the market, number two. Uh, and also, number three, there's a demand for it, right? So when there doesn't exist and there's a demand for it, we're going after that, my team and I. So my team and I are pioneering. And on July, I'm sorry, this June 23rd, we will have our Discover virtual um, experience. We, we can't have a physical conference, as you know, which we usually do each year. But we'll have a virtual conference and we will disclose uh, to the industry how we're going to do the edge as a service while everybody is talking about the data center as a service. Right. And that's fine because, you know, we are, too, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, as well. And uh, we believe because I'm not aware, uh, we believe no one will talk about yet or in the near future how to combine OT and IT as a service. Now, think about it. If our second innovation and differentiation was the physical convergence of OT and IT in the same box, then we have the ability to do it all as a service because it already exists that you purchase it not as a service. We will impute an as a service technology and an as a service financial model. You know, over that's our plan, you know, for the future, for the edge. And it will include also the, you know, the three C's of the edge, connectivity, compute, and control. Right. We will be the, um, to my knowledge, again, uh, the pioneering vendor of all those three C's being offered as a, you know, as a service. And I'll uh, just add and close that point with, it's an interesting uh, model because you have to choose the operator of the service. And, and I, I refer to them as CAO, PAO, and VAO. CAO is the customer is the operator. So you can purchase a service and operate it yourself, just like you would rent a car. You're purchasing a service. You can be the driver, right? Uh, PAO is a partner of ours. We will teach and help, and they will deliver and operate the service. Partner as operator, PAO. And then VAO is vendor as operator, meaning uh, we as the- You will operate. Yes, we would, we would do it. Uh, and there's different revenue models, right? There's different uh, models there, but there are basically three. To the end user, the second two look the same, whether it's a partner or the vendor, right? But to the vendor and the partner, it's quite different, right? So we, we, we always have to think about the supply side as well as the demand side in these models that we come. But CAO, PAO, and VAO are a new vocabulary that we're promoting about how is the, how is the operator. I'm working on an opportunity in Africa, one of the countries in Africa um, that uh, wants to uh, build about a 3,000 edge location network to uh, an IoT network, as well as a content delivery network, very much edge, some of it IoT. And the customer is the government. They don't want to operate it. So there's not going to be CAO, not customer as the operator. Uh, we, HPE, are partner-led in this country, meaning we are not present physically there. We, have, we work through partners. So we can't have VAO, meaning us, the vendor operate the service. So we work with an MSP, a managed service provider and system integrator, third party. Uh, to put out that particular model as well. Maybe that's enough on that. Yeah, I thought that uh, we, I, I knew all the uh, three letters acronyms. Now I see that there are three new. So you also innovate over there, so which, is, which is nice. And um, uh, there is always, always uh, good to, uh, to learn three more uh, words into the vocabulary. But you wanted me to uh, piggyback on or to remind you to discuss the difference between innovation and differentiation. This is very important, and this is uh, um, subtle and, and is missed by many because the word innovation, and you should be innovative, is very popular. 
and uh, in my own company as well as other companies. But here's the thing. You and I could have the same innovative automobile. And we have a beautiful new 2020 automobile. And it, no one argues whether it's innovative, right? Because it might have some new, in fact, IoT technology. It might have some new acceleration technology, new braking technology, you know, new, uh, new way of infotainment. And you and I buy the same model the same year, the same color. It's possible, right? With the same features. And then we meet each other. We say, well, I want you to see my new innovative car. And then you say, I want you to see mine. And it's identical. So what's the problem? It's innovative, but it's not differentiated. Now, let's impute this metaphor on the business. I create a product that's innovative. No one has had it before in the history of mankind. And we brag about how it's innovative. And my competitor does what? The exact same product. Are we both bragging it's innovative? Yes. Are they both innovative? Yes. What's the problem? Now, this is a business problem, right? Not a personal pride problem. The business problem is since they're identical and they're innovative, how do you compete to sell it? And unfortunately, you'll be degraded eventually competing on price, right? If you have no other differentiation, now you can compete on delivery, financing, relationship, quality, but let's say they're all identical. They're all innovative in all the, the only thing you can change then is price, right? When you compete on price, you know what happens? The profitability of your com company usually, right? It, uh, it uh, is, is highly challenged, right? So now, what I do when I do my mentoring, when I talk to my team, when I encourage my colleagues is don't focus on innovation. It's seductive. You will be seduced into thinking you have something unique when you don't. Just because it's innovative doesn't mean it's unique. Just because it's innovative doesn't mean it's differentiated. But contrarywise, if it's differentiated, by definition, it's innovative. All differentiation is innovative because it's the first new thing, right? So as the definition of innovation is new and novel, sure, you can do a lot of new and novel things, but it doesn't mean it's unique. It doesn't mean it's different, right, as well. So let me say the businesses that flourish, especially early in the market with high margin, uh, you know, and I, I can talk about four benefits of being a first mover and a differentiator, but I'll hold that. But all those who are flourishing and enjoying the four benefits of a first mover differentiation uh, are that. They're different. They're not the same. Are they innovative? Well, sure. By definition, all differentiation is innovative, is new and novel. That's the definition. Of innovative. But not all new and novel things are different from your competitor right? as well. And this is why companies from fast food to automobiles, right, to, uh, to uh, entertainment are competing for, you know, on differentiation, you know, as well. Okay. So now, I tell my team, you must create differentiated products. I'm not interested in innovative products that are the same as my competitor. So if it's innovative, you have to take the next step. Is it differentiated? So that's the difference, and it's a key one. And it is absolutely, I would call it a law in the business world. Because if you're not different, you'll compete on price. If you compete on price, you will be very challenged to um, be profitable, grow, or even exist as a business. Yep. Yeah, I must say that this is a, a crucial law and one we, that uh, we, we should uh, always remember. I would like to end up with another question, which is more general one. We have uh, many CIOs and CTOs listening to us. And I was wondering, do you have like, you know, uh, kind of uh, if, if they are sitting and, and this podcast is all about the future of tech, what should be the one tip or the one 
important message that they should think about and um, maybe, you know, take with them uh, looking into the future of the industry and the future of uh, the technology as, as uh, time goes by? Well, if you're a CIO or an executive in the, um, uh, in the IT space, in, on the demand side or the supply side, mm-hmm. you have to watch out because the data center's definition is changing. We already talked about what the edge is. You have to pay attention to the edge because more and more compute will be done at the edge. More and more of the things you even manage and sell will no longer be in nice, air-conditioned, safe, secure buildings because we're now talking about edge clouds and distributed clouds, right? Not centralized clouds. We already talked about the IoT and things like that, but independent of whether there are things at the edge, the the distribution of computing and the intelligence at the edge is something you don't want to miss. And the ROI that I'm seeing with our end users and customers is absolutely you know, airtight. So that, that would be my best advice is, um, quote, go to the edge, assess it, by the way, to see if it's um, something good for you. It might not be what your business model is, but you got to be careful you know that it's out there. Great. Um, Tom, it was a pleasure hosting you. Uh, it was, uh, for me, a very interesting discussion. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And I hope seeing you face-to-face in the near future uh, once this, uh, you know, uh, corona is out. Well, I, I sure hope we can. I hope it's over even if we don't see each other, but it would be great to see each other. And uh, I'm optimistic it will. Uh, we're investing as if it will, and I hope many are as well. And then... Um, Uh, we can get back to uh, solving people's problems and helping people improve the way they work and the way they live. That's really our goal here at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Thank you for this opportunity. I enjoyed my discussion with you and I hope indeed we will meet again. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Charlotte, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.